Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Uh, I was laughing yesterday, obviously, was the beginning of college football season for many of us, because on Facebook, apparently most of you were in Morgantown. Um, It was awesome to see how many from Bible Center were up taking in the game and uh, all the activities of the day up in Morgantown. And so whatever your team is and whoever your team is, hopefully you had a good day yesterday. Um, But it's good to be with you this morning. We've been in a series on our values, on our values. Uh, And I'm excited to share a little bit about that this morning. This is near and dear to my heart. Um, Values are a part of who we are. If you're a person, you have values. If you're part of an organization, that organization has values. Sometimes those values are stated. Sometimes they're understood. Sometimes they're not stated or not understood, but you still have values. And those values guide your decisions. They guide your thought process. They, they guide where you put your resources. And so we're all driven by values toward whatever our mission is. And so you as a person, me as a person, we all have a mission in life. Sometimes it's stated, sometimes it's not stated, but we have a mission in life and we have values that guide or drive us toward that mission. And the evidence is in how we spend our time, what we spend our money on. All of those things inform the people around us what our values are and ultimately what our mission is. And so as we've looked at values, what we're looking at are things that guide or motivate our church toward mission. Those are the seven things that we've been looking at that guide or motivate our church toward mission. Those are values. And as we started this journey down to understanding our values, because when you, when you go down this path, what you're seeking is clarity. You're seeking clarity. When you come up with mission statements and strategies and values and all those kind of things, the, the end goal is trying to get clarity. Why, why are we here? Why do we do the things that we do? Answering the question, why? And so as we started this journey, it's been a fun journey to kind of bat these back and forth and try to figure out, okay, what's unique about Bible Center Church and what has God uniquely gifted us in and how has he used us over our 76 years of history? And so all of these values have kind of gone through that process. So we look at values in kind of two categories. One is they are actual, they are true. They are just things that are true. And so there there are some things that we could say are values of ours that wouldn't be true, and therefore they're not really values. We might like them to be values or want them to be values, but they're not really true of us. And so all seven of these, we've looked over 76 years, and we feel like these are true of Bible Center, historically. Historically true of Bible Center. But there's another part of that Two, that is, is called the category of aspirational. In other words, there are things that are going to challenge us as we continue to move into the future. So yes, they've been true over the past 76 years, but there are things we have to continue to work at as we go forward into the next chapter of our story. So they have an aspirational edge to them. So all seven of the values we would say are actual, they've been true of Bible Center historically, but they're also things that we feel like God is calling us to as we move into the next chapter. They're aspirational. And so today I get to talk to you about innovation. 
innovation. It's a fun one. When this one came up, um, we had lots of different words that, you know, that we were playing with and trying to figure out how to encapsulate all the different things that are true of Bible Center. And I remember sitting in an elder meeting and I was really, really pushing for the word agility. Well, if you back it up even further, I was really pushing for the word nimble, which people made fun of me over. Um, but then agility started to be kind of a buzzword in society. Like we want to be a, an organization that's agile. We're able to adapt, react, and be proactive and all of those things. And we were sitting in, a, in an elder meeting and one of the elders said, you know, it's not really agility, it's more innovation. I'm like, ah, I just lost. <laughs> so innovation is the word. And I love this word. It's so much bigger than agility. It includes that, but it's so much bigger than that. And as I've started studying for this message, I realized that innovation is threaded through the whole Bible. And so I'm excited to look at it this morning. I think the first thing we need to do when we talk about innovation is we need to define it. What does it mean to innovate? What does it mean to innovate? So this is a definition of what it means to innovate, to make changes in something established, especially by introducing new methods, ideas, or products. To make changes in something established, especially by introducing new methods, ideas, or products. One of the things we've introduced recently is an update to our app. And so I'd encourage you to take notes this morning. There's a, a page in your bulletin, you can do that. Uh, if you have some paper, you can do that. You can take it on, on the notes on your phone. But also in our app now, there is a fill-in outline that you can follow along with. I don't know why, but it is so satisfying to fill in the blanks on an outline. It's just something about that. It's like completion, you know? And in the app, it's even more satisfying because it's like you, you fill it in and you're like, oh, wow, look at that. Um, and so if you don't have the app, I'd encourage you to download it and you can find these notes right in there. But innovation means to make changes in something established, especially by introducing new methods, ideas, or products. So I was curious, throughout history, what were the greatest innovations that ever occurred? And so I researched the History Channel, because that's where you go when you want to find history, right? Today. Um, and so this is the History Channel's version of the 10 innovations that they would say changed history the most. The 10 innovations that changed history the most. And you can debate these, but this is their list. Number one, the printing press, the compass, paper currency, steel, the electric light, transistors, magnifying lenses, the telegraph, antibiotics, and the steam engine. So those are their 10 that when they go throughout history, they say these are the 10 innovations that radically changed history. You could debate that. Some of you might say, well, the wheel um, would be a good thing to put in there. And so you might have your own list of 10, but this is their version of 10 innovations that changed history. Then I was curious also of what were some things that were innovations that didn't really change history um, and maybe they failed, like abysmally failed, just didn't work because innovation has that component to it, like it could not work. And so here are one person's version of the top four things that were innovations that didn't work. <laughs> New Coke. You're, you're shaking your head in agreement. New Coke. So this came out in the 80s originally um, and was a bomb. Like, I mean, people were picketing Coca-Cola. Like, it was terrible. Tasted horrible. Um, but then, like all good things, it came back this summer for some reason because we needed it again 
uh, alongside of a Netflix show. Um, so they released New Coke a, a little bit again this summer, so it's been back in the news. The second one I thought was, was great, Jell-O for salads. So this was when salads were becoming a popular thing to eat, like health food and all that stuff was starting to sweep the nation. Jell-O decided they were going to get on this, and they, de- they decided they were going to make salads that you encased in Jell-O. So it was like put lettuce and carrots and all in Jell-O, and you would have a salad made out of Jell-O. Didn't really go anywhere. Um, number three was multicolored ketchup. If you've ever squeezed green ketchup on anything that you would like to eat, it just no. It's just no. It didn't work. You can't find it. And the last one, this might be my favorite, Colgate Kitchen Entrees. So somewhere in a boardroom in America, somewhere, the CEO and the board members of Colgate decided, let's make lasagna. Yeah, it went about that well. There have been others I'm sure you can think of that were innovations that just did not work. So here's one of the premises for today. Change, creativity, and innovation are not things to be feared, but instead things to be rooted in and used for the glory of God. Change, creativity, and innovation are not things to be feared, but instead things to be rooted in and used for the glory of God. When you think about your lifetime, innovations that have taken place in your lifetime. When I went to college, we did not have cell phones. We barely had computers. So I remember when I moved into my dorm room my freshman year, I had a computer for the first time in my life, and it was one of the big computers that took like four people to move it, and it had that printer that made all the noise and had the the holes on the side of the paper and spun around, you know, all that stuff. It was basically a glorified typewriter that you could play solitaire on, like, but it was a computer, so it was totally better, right? Um, Like, that was moving in to college, at college, which I would like to think was not horribly long ago, but didn't have a cell phone. I remember my stepdad had a bag phone. You remember those? The bag phones that you would have in your car or you take it wherever and he had a magnetic antenna that he would put out the window and put on the roof of the car so that he could make phone calls from his car. Which now you're not allowed to make phone calls from your car. But like it was so cool. I remember looking at that thing going, wow, that is incredible. And now... How many of us have one of these? It's a computer we carry around in our pocket. You know, this gets my email. This keeps my calendar. I can tune my guitar with this thing. It's my GPS. And oh yeah, it makes phone calls too. It holds all my music somewhere in a cloud somewhere. Innovations are crazy, but they happen. You think about the Bible, the narrative of the Bible, how much change has taken place throughout the narrative of Scripture. You know, a lot of people say, you know, God doesn't change, which is true. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I think we could say that God is the author of change. When you go from Genesis to Revelation, 
There is so much change that happens throughout the narrative of Scripture. And I don't have time to get into all of it this morning because we would be here till next week. But I want to give you some highlights of some things that I think will help us understand why innovation as a value. Why innovation as a value. Change, creativity, and innovation are not things to be feared, but instead things to be rooted in and used for the glory of God. I think some of us have a fear of innovation. Some of us have a fear of change. And I would suggest that maybe some of those fears are these. So the first one is something I would call risk. You see that? Risk. So to innovate comes with this risk. I have to risk something that I have in order to get something that I don't have. And so there's a fear of that, like giving up something that I, that I already know to get something that I don't know. There's a risk in that. I might lose. It might not work. It might be jello for salads, whatever it might be. There's a risk in there. I think a second one, why we are afraid sometimes of innovation or change, is comfort. We fear the loss of comfort. You felt this before when you wake up one morning and you realize that Facebook has redone their entire system and you don't know where anything is anymore and so you're not comfortable when you're looking at it. Where do I go? And so we have this fear of a loss of comfort. Like I'm going to lose something I'm comfortable with if we innovate or if we change. One other one that I thought of is suspicion. We fear innovation because we think whoever is the person or entity that is innovating is out to get us. They just want more of my money. They want more of my time. They want to brainwash me with something. They're out to get me. They want to take away something that I love. And so I, say, I think sometimes we're afraid of innovation because we're afraid of risk, afraid of losing our comfort or we have suspicion about the person or entity that is innovating. So how do we break through those fears and get to be people, a people group, who not only embrace innovation but actually lead it? For us to have a value of innovation means that we move past we embrace innovation and we're okay with innovation or you can do innovation around me to now we're actually leading in the area of innovation. So it, we're leading in the area of creativity. We're leading in the area of change, not just responding to it. So how do we move past those fears into embracing that as part of our culture? We're going to go to two places this morning, Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles or app, Bible apps, you can open to Genesis chapter 1 and then put a finger in John chapter 1 as well. And we'll bounce back and forth in, uh, in a couple other places as well. I told you there's a lot of things that I'd like to show you this morning. So I cut some of them out so that we can get done on time. Um, but this is an overview. This is not a deep dive into all of these things, but kind of an overview of how the Bible approaches innovation, how God approaches 
innovation. And so I hope it'll be helpful to you as we do that. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1 and try to answer the question, how do we break through those fears and become leaders in the area of innovation? Genesis 1, 1 tells us where innovation comes from. It says this, the very first verse in all of the Bible says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. So God made something new. And the thing about God is he made something new, not out of something that was old. He just made something new. He created the heavens and the earth. Then we go on to verse 26 to 28. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. At the very beginning of the Bible, we find innovation. We find creativity. We find change. So I want to give you three things this morning that will help us as we seek to be a church that values innovation. The first thing is we need to understand that God creates. God creates. We've shared with you kind of a a 10-word path uh, for the gospel, and it begins with God creates. It moves to Jesus saves, or sorry, sin breaks, and then Jesus saves, and then Jesus transforms, and God restores all movement, all change all motion, but it begins with God creates. It's the foundational thing that God creates. But I want to take it past that today because many of us would say, yeah, I agree with that. God created the world. I can see that in Genesis chapter one, that God created the world. But we stop at God created. And we don't move into God is creating. God is Creating. You see, the thing about God is he's not just somebody who created in the past. It's not like God for six days out of eternity decided he was going to be creative and then it just stopped. And he never did anything ever again. Because God is creative. He is creator. It's who he is. And so be like an artist just stopping painting. They can't. It's who they are. And so God is creating. Let me show you a couple examples of where we see this. Look at this in Jeremiah chapter 1. God says to the prophet Jeremiah, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Did you catch that? Before I formed you in the womb. God is forming people right now. Forming people. It's not like he just created an ecosystem and kind of spun it and then let it go. He's actively forming people. Man, doesn't that convey a value? 
if you stop and think about it for a second? Doesn't that convey such a value of people? Think about it for yourself. Apply that to you. God formed you. It doesn't even say made, it says formed. Like there's a masterpiece connotation to that. Other places we, we read fearfully and wonderfully made and things like that. But God actively formed you. This morning, maybe you're struggling with self-worth. Maybe you're struggling with purpose. Maybe you struggle when you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. Or maybe, on the other hand, you struggle with people. You struggle valuing people. You struggle seeing people with worth. Can you rest for just a second in the fact that God formed you and God formed me? There's a purpose to that. He made us on purpose. And it gives value to every person, every human. You know, in our society, we like to label things. Sometimes labels are helpful. But many times, our labeling of people is a way for us to devalue that person. Because then I don't have to deal with that person as a person. I can deal with them as a label. But if we back up and we realize that not only did God create Adam and Eve, but he created me, he created every single one of you, and he created every other person in the entire world, there's such a value to that. If you're struggling with that this morning, we'd love to pray with you. Our prayer room will be open right after the service. We'd just love to pray alongside of you show you that God loves you and cares about you and that he made you on purpose for a purpose. Look at what he says in John 14, what Jesus says to his disciples. They're asking him what's going on and he's telling them about the future and he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Some of you are architects or builders and you understand what it means to prepare a house or prepare a a building of some sort. Can you imagine the place that Jesus is making? He said, this place is made up of lots of rooms. It's got lots of space, but I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna prepare this for you. He is creating, he's forming people. He's preparing a place for those who would spend eternity with him. And then look at this, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two. We get to study Ephesians this fall. I'm so excited about it. You're gonna love the book of Ephesians if you've never been through it before. But he says this in Ephesians chapter two. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. He made us alive with Christ. So not only did he form us, in the womb, but then for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, literally Ephesians 2 says that we were dead and he made us alive. He's making new creations right now. Right now. God is creating. It's not something that he did at one point in the past somewhere. 
It's something he's actively engaged in in this moment. So then remember in Genesis chapter 1, God said something about us as well. He said he created, but then he said something about us. He said he made mankind in his image or in his likeness. We have characteristics that God has. Our emotions are similar to what God has. They're based on the emotions that God has. We read all kinds of things about the emotions that God has. And he made us in his likeness, but he's also given us the ability to create, to innovate, to build, to grow, to change. We, as people, are inherently creative. We're inherently creative because we've been made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. God is creator, and so he made us to create. He told us to rule, to subdue in Genesis chapter 1. People, however, are sub-creators as image bearers of God. Do you realize that there's nothing that we can make that hasn't already been made? We can't make new things. We can make things out of things. God created from nothing. We create from something. And so whatever it is that we create, even the chairs that you're sitting on, the lights in the building, the glass in the windows, all of those things are made from things that God has already created. But we have this honor and this opportunity to be co-creators or sub-creators of God because he's made us in his likeness. It's a gift from God. Look at Exodus chapter 35 with me. Moses said to the Israelites, see that God, the Spirit of God has filled these people with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given them the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers, in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. It's been a gift from God to do all of those things. Then look in Ephesians chapter 2, what Paul says at the end of that passage. He says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're sub-creators with God. He's given us the opportunity to create, to innovate, to change the world in which we live. It's part of who we are as people. Remember the first time that we took our kids to Disney World. You guys like Disney World a little bit every now and then? So I remember the first time I took our kids to Disney World. We were living in Florida and uh, the girls were real young, real, real young. In fact, one of them was in the middle of potty training. And so we were going through that process of potty training. And this one just, she just didn't care. Everybody's unique. We all have our own story when it comes to potty training. That's one common thing among all of us. And some of us care deeply and some of us just didn't care. And she just didn't care. Like, she didn't care. So we tried everything. We tried bribing her with M&Ms. We tried bribing her with can other candy. Uh, we even tried a bicycle. We put a bicycle on the kitchen counter and said, if you make it for a week, 
this bike is yours. Well, she's manipulative and great and wonderful, and we love her so much, and she has a great face, and so she just smiled, and I said, okay, you can have it anyway. Um, so she had the bike. So nothing was working. She just did not care. Then we started planning our trip to Disney World. Started tra- planning our trip to Disney World, and they loved the princesses, the Disney princesses. They were young, and they watched them on TV, and they just loved the Disney princesses. And one day she walked up to my wife and she said, can I meet the Disney princesses without being potty trained? It was like, ooh. So we seized on that one. No, you can't meet Belle wearing a (laughs) pull-up. Boom, she was potty trained. I mean, it was crazy, absolutely crazy. So try that if if nothing else has worked. (laughs) She knew something had to change when we went to Disney World. But I remember when we, we, we went to Disney World for the day and we're there for the day and the parade is happening toward the end of the day and everybody's on Main Street and like the whole park just comes together for this parade except for the two or three that really wanted to ride that one ride. But everybody else comes to the, to the Main Street, to the parade and you're sitting in front of the castle and all the characters come through on the parade. You can picture it in your head. If you've been there, you can kind of see it happening. And they were fine, you know, watching all the characters and laughing and having a good time. And then the princess float came by. The look in their eyes. They had tears coming out of their eyes as they're watching this float come by, which meant I had tears coming out of my eyes as I'm watching them watching this float go by. What is that? It's the vision of a guy named Walt. And his innovation, his change, his sub-creating, taking what God had given him and making something spectacular out of it. We are inherently creative. People are made to be innovators, to do good work. When we maximize the gifts that God has given us, it brings glory to him. It reflects him. Think about this. People wrote the Magna Carta in the Constitution. People painted the Sistine Chapel, composed Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, harnessed the power of water, wind, and nuclear energy, created business and education, invented telephones, telegraphs, computers, airplanes, spacecraft, and submarines, cured countless diseases, heated and air-conditioned buildings, for which we are grateful, purified water, We marry and raise families. We create homes. We make memories. There's art to everything. To everything. This week, we had a company start repaving our parking lot. There is such an art to repaving a parking lot. Or making Wi-Fi faster, which is happening right now. Or operating on a back starting a successful small business or repairing a car or building a house. There's art to getting a child out of bed, getting their teeth and hairbrush, clothes on, lunch packed, and out the door in time for school. There's art to everything. All of life is art. We tend to take art and put it in this little box over here that says if you're a painter or, or if, if you're an architect or something like that, then you're an artist. No. God has made all of us to be creative, to solve problems, to fix things, to imagine better days. All of us. That means everything matters. 
Everything matters. That means purpose is huge. It means it all has significance within our role as sub-creators with God. Teaching and business and volunteering and city planning and carpentry and plumbing. It all becomes a way to bring glory to the ultimate creator. All of it. For the Christian, for the follower of Christ, though, it goes a step deeper. It goes a step deeper. You see, number three, God, through sending Jesus, modeled innovation for us. God, through sending Jesus, modeled innovation for us. When God sent Jesus, it was rooted in his glory, but it was motivated by love. You see, God's going to get glory. All of those things I just mentioned ultimately are going to return glory to God. But what separates the life of a follower of Christ? It means that we're motivated by love. We're not motivated by me or selfishness or desire for something more. We're motivated by love. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And in verse 16 of chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he saw a problem and he innovated so that there could be a solution for all of mankind. Motivated by his love. Rooted in the glory of God. For God so loved the world. It compelled him. It compelled him to make a way that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The most innovative move in the history of the universe was God sending Jesus. God sent his son from heaven and he put skin on to reach us. It was compelled by love. It was rooted in the glory of God, but it was compelled. It was motivated by love. Can you imagine if he did if he did things the way that many times we do things? Can you imagine if Jesus had said, well, I know that something needs to be done. Um, so once they look like me and talk like me and can get to where I am, then I'll share this message with them. Can you imagine that? Put that in our context. Put that in, in the context of a missionary going to another country where they speak a different language and walking into the middle of a, of a town, sitting down in the middle of town and saying, as soon as you learn English, I have a message I want to share with you. But isn't that what we do many times? Because we say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to communicate like that. When Jesus was willing to leave heaven and become a person to reach us, he modeled 
innovation, rooted in the glory of God, motivated by love. Jesus became incarnational, like us, so he could reach us. Became incarnational, like us, so he could reach us. Now catch this, what did it do? And this is huge for us. What did it do? It created a new people group. It created a new people group. This people group called the church. It was a new method of reaching the world with hope. With the message of Christ. It was this new people group. He came into a world where religion was based on your geography, your ancestry, your gender, your ethnicity. He said, I'm going to break all of that. And I'm going to create a a new people group. It's open to all. It's not based on any of those things. It's open to everyone. And so we're here this morning as a group of people because of what he did, because of his innovation. And so you're sitting in the room right now with people that don't believe all the things that you believe about everything. People that vote differently than you, believe it or not, are sitting in the room right now. We're okay so far. I had dinner with a, somebody the other night who thinks that it's okay to put barbecue chicken on pizza. He was sitting in this room with me. It's just not okay. There's so many differences among us. This should not work. You want to talk about failed innovations? This should not work. Save Christ and the motivation of love. So because of Jesus, we can sit in this room and we can love Jesus, yes, but we can also love each other. Even in our differences, we can love each other. There's such a beauty in what he created. Think about what Christians have done throughout history. Christians created hospitals and universities. Christians started a welfare system to care for those who were in need. Christians used light and image to convey messages through art. The church wrote songs, designed buildings, and used glass to convey stories to captivate hearts. Today, followers of Jesus are working to eradicate hunger, to erase poverty, to rid the world of slavery, to tear down racism, to build communities, to invest in education. Why? Because we're rooted in God being seen and glorified, but ultimately we're motivated by love. We're motivated by love for people the way that Jesus was motivated by love for us. And we want to pass that on. We want to share that. We want to extend that. We want to see it spread to the ends of the earth. And so we innovate. We innovate. Bible Center, over its 76 history, 76 year history has done a lot of that in an attempt to love and reach as many people as we can. Think about this. We started in a department store. Pretty innovative. We moved from downtown to Oakhurst prior to the corridor being built. So there was a day where the the corridor did not exist. It was a two-lane road, and there were plans for where it was going to end up, and and the the property was purchased for the Oakhurst campus for Bible Center, and, and 
still did not know exactly where the road was going to get up and so, or be put. And so the, the building at Oakhurst was literally built with two front doors. The back and the front could both function as front doors, depending on where the road went. There was a huge lobby and there was orange carpet. Massive innovations. We still benefit from those innovations today with our school. We took pews out. We put in chairs. We hired young, unproven pastors. We embraced capital campaigns. We had a massive response to Hurricane Katrina. We met at the Clay Center. We built a church that looks like a lodge to help people cross the threshold. We held church at the levee. We started ministries that are specifically for families affected by special needs. We built a school. We went to two unique Sunday morning worship styles. We started streaming services online. We host a leadership conference. We hold classes on money and financial planning. And we're investing in a maker center to help people coming out of recovery gain marketable skills. It's historically been true of us. Over our 76-year history, innovation has been something we have valued. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. It's because God made us that way. And it's a response to how much Jesus has loved us. And it's, it's just this opportunity to love others, to invest in our city. So that when people see Charleston, they look and they say, how did that happen and there's a group of people who says, it was rooted in God getting glory and people being loved. Change, innovation, creativity for the follower of Christ are rooted in God getting glory and are motivated by us being able to love people. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.